Hey everyone, welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, the podcast where every week myself, Adrian, and Matt talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, But Why Though? Before we get started, just wanted to take a moment to let you know that you should follow us on Twitter at But Why Though PC. It's where we're most active and you can get involved in tonight's conversation and any other conversation after that. If you want to support us a little more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash But Why Though PC. And uh, yeah, enjoy the show. Welcome back to But Why Do the Podcast, and today we have some special guests that we're interviewing, uh, the co-creators of Border Town from DC Vertigo. As always, I'm your host, Kate. I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we are here with uh, Ramon Villalobos and Eric Esquivel. Yeah, happy to be here. Doing well. Doing well. Yeah, Thanks thank for having you. us on. Yeah, thank you all for, you know, coming to our little corner of the internet here. So, for those of you out there listening, if you don't know uh, what Border Town is, you should by now, because if you follow me on Twitter, I've been telling you to buy this comic um, since pre-releases were up. Uh, so I'll be very disappointed if you don't have a copy in your home. But if you don't, and this is your first exposure to it, um, here is the description. Uh, when a crack in the border between worlds releases an army of monsters from Mexican folklore, the residents of Devil's Fork, Arizona, blame the ensuing weirdness, the shared nightmares, the otherworldly radio transmissions, the mysterious goat mutilations on god dang illegals. With racial tensions supernaturally charged, it's up to it's up to new kid in town, Frank Dominguez, and a motley crew of high school misfits to discover what's really going on in this town torn between worlds. Who wrote um, that? It's so wordy. <laughs> <laughs> what a terrible writer. I hope they have a really good artist. <laughs> I got bad news for you, Eric. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Oh, okay. So why don't, um, the first thing that I have to ask, since you all are the co-creators of this comic, why? It's super, super broad question. Why? Like, what inspired you guys to write and draw Border Town? Like, what, what started this? <laughs> well, this is a story I've been pitching for years. I'm a big horror nerd, so I love stuff like, like the Gremlins and, like, Goonies and, and Scream and, like, uh, all that all that fun stuff. Like, 80s VHS horror is kind of where my heart is and Buffy growing up. So I've always wanted to tell a story that was in that same vein, but with my experience. So I've been pitching this for a long time as a horror story set in Arizona, which is where I grew up as a kid. And uh, the realities around that existence are kind of terrifying anyway. So... A lot of the stuff people contribute, people attribute to being like political or timely, is just stuff that was like makes the, the story feel lived in and feel real and based on my actual life. So, yeah, it's a story that that uh, you know, it's it's about monsters that are older than the country. It's these creatures from folklore that my aunt and my cousin used to bum me out with when I was a kid. Uh, creatures like like the Kakui and the Lolorona and the Duendes and Pichilingis and these like these legendary creatures that we all have heard of but we haven't ever seen in comics or cartoons or movies before. So I thought it would be fun to expose those creatures that I've been fascinated with to a wider audience. And uh, yeah, and it, and it worked. So thank God. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I was uh, I, Eric, I got on brought on after the fact, but it's a lot of that same stuff that Eric said is kind of like what intrigued me to saying yes to it. But yeah, like basically what he said. <laughs> Ramon is the only guy we ever considered to draw it to. Like Ramon, he's so good at drawing like realistic teenagers and realistic like modern day fashion and real world stuff, but also this like really creepy like school shooter scribbling on a notebook monster kind of goth stuff. Yeah. So those two elements together are what make the book and, and Ramon was the only guy we ever considered for it. And, and I'm proud that he's a co-owner of the property. I will yeah. say this. I loved the Phoenix, uh, the sun shirt, the moment that cover dropped. I was like, oh, that is awesome. Yeah. So like yeah, with that, um, it was one of those things where that is something that I like, that, that kind of stuff is what I contribute to it is uh, they, you know, they give me a lot of free roam with like the visual aesthetic of the book. So like initially the cover was going to be like the sign that's behind them with like, you know, border crossing or whatever with like some chunks taken out of it from monsters. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But can we do like, uh, you know, we just show the kids <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, oh, OK, well, if you think so, then, yeah, let's do that. So. Yeah, like I, I'm pretty grateful that you know I do have a lot of free reign with that kind of stuff, and like the sun's the sun's you know not sun's jersey was like to me that's like so <laughs> a picture of that area and it, like it says a lot about the book like it's kind of like you know retro like looking but contemporary and stuff like that. So you said that you've been pitching it for a long time. Can you tell us like a little mm -hmm. bit about the history? Like how, how, like how, how, how long is a long time? And I guess like when, I don't know, I don't really know how to ask this question. I told you I'm starstruck. Um, <laughs> like a, little so bit, nice. a little bit of the history that like has gone into like what you, like what you said was a long time to like get it made. Like, can you tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that process or about the process of getting it, you know, picked up at, at Vertigo? Sure, sure. Well, uh, I've been working in comics for about for about 16 years now. Um, I started off when I was 15 doing like little self-published black and white minis uh, that were terrible. Like these little like Kinko's autobio books about like, why don't girls like me? Like romance, <laughs> one-sided one romance comics. And because uh, I, I always wanted to tell this story, but I knew I wasn't good enough then. So I, I told stories that were just real, like things that actually happened to me, things that I knew no one could call me out on for being a bad writer because they, they actually happened. So I did tons of like Harvey P. Carr, like Robert Crumb style, like autobio comics with local artists when I was a kid. And I, I got better and better at that until I started getting offered jobs in actual comics. So uh, I went from doing that to doing stuff like Adventure Time and Sonic the Hedgehog and Gumby. And what you'll notice with all those characters is they're all non-human. Because I would, I would pitch things and, and, and like no shade on any publishers or editors or anything. I've worked with some great people, but like telling a story with Mexican characters or like Latinx characters at all is considered controversial and political, which is insane and, and like hard to deal with, like hard to stomach hearing as a creator. So I would pitch this story over and over again and I would get offered like other things that were less political. So I just, I took those jobs and I proved that I could hit deadlines and take notes and work at, work in comics. And I paid my dues for, you know, over a decade. And then finally at Vertigo, they, uh, when I pitched this story, I was expecting to give you, to get turned down again and they were excited about it and they picked it up. And that's, that's thrilling for me. It's the first time that the story ever met the right editors who, who would, who would shepherd it and protect it and care about it. So I'm I very excited. Wonder... I'm, I'm glad. I'll go ahead. You know. Sorry. I always wonder now what like the editors that turned it down are thinking like now that it's successful. Now that it's in its second print, <laughs> yeah. in the first issue. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah it sold out in five that days. Must be a- I got a lot of really nice notes that were like, you know, we couldn't do it over here, but we're glad it came out. And that was really sweet. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, mm, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could have shipped them a first issue, too. It's been like, here you go. <laughs> Um, okay. So like you kind of, I had this question later on, but because you mentioned the fact that like, um, some people, a lot of people, and I think this is like kind of across media see just writing Latinx characters as being controversial or being a statement in and of itself, like for just existing, like, um, when I think back through comics, a lot of the times and, and in other media too, like, it's just a generic Hispanic, you know, Hispanic identity, a generic, sure, Lat- sure. you know, Latinx identity. And, and you all like yeah. really represent like, um, it, correct me if I'm wrong, there's multiple Latinx identities going on here between three of the characters. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. what, what went into that choice of like making different identities or different Latinidades, you know, Latin experiences ex- like in this comic and on that cover? Because like it's very pronounced. Like, you know, you're getting more than just like one side, you know, one side of the Latin experience, like the moment you pick up sure, issue sure. number one. Yeah. Well, I think people know that my experience, I'm, I'm a Mexican and I'm an Irish guy. Um, my mom's Irish and my dad's Mexican. And those families are both like monolithic, like entirely Irish and entirely Mexican. Uh, so that was an interesting pairing of the two. Uh, so my experience is, is like having these two cultures inform me, which is was very cool growing up. And there's a lot of similarities and some differences too. But everyone that I know in America, like that's the case. Like they're either like, like biracial or triracial or they have like something about them that is like not entirely... You know, if, if you're if you're an American, odds are pretty good that you're an immigrant. Like, we, we have a native character in the book, Quince, who's based on my two of my actual friends from Arizona. Um, he's, he's an amalgamation of those guys. Uh, but, like, unless you're a native person, you know, like, you're from somewhere else. So uh, odds are pretty good that your parents are immigrants. So I wanted to express that accurately. Like, growing up, I love stuff like G.I. Joe. But in G.I. Joe, if you're indigenous, then you, like, wear war paint all the time, and you have the power to talk to eagles, and you're a tracker, and it's every... It's just it's this, like, one weird monolithic thing about you. If you're Irish, you're really lucky, you can always dodge bullets. Like, it's <laughs> these weird, like, stereotypes and caricatures. So I want to talk about characters that have multiple facets to their identity, and how that affects them. Um, and, and then you see characters like, like, Julieta's uh, Afro-Latina gal, and in comics, we have a lot of we have some characters now who are like Afro Latino, and you, they just tell you that, and they don't really show it on culture, and they don't talk about how interesting identity that is. It, like even our celebrities, like Lupita Nyong'o, who like speaks Spanish and grew up in Mexico and stuff, like she's only perceived as black in the media because you're whatever the darkest thing you are yeah. in, in America. That's how they perceive you. So I want to talk about those nuances that I don't think a lot of folks were aware of. And the and the crazy thing was that like we are all aware of it we just didn't have a comic yet so everyone's like titting me up and they're like oh my god like i i talk about this with my girlfriend all the time but i never see it in media and that's really nice to hear yeah because the the statement that julieta says to frank is like really like kind of talking like it talks about that experience like you're all of the things you are um which i would agree like i think it happens a lot of the time in in i'm specifically looking at like the character of miles morales in comics like they just like people mm-hmm. see and they don't look at any anything else around it or it's not explicitly stated um, so thank you for like representing that. And now I need to go correct my article for Missy number one because I did not know that Quinta was native until I read issue number two. <laughs> I, was I was gonna like, say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not, you know, that's not yeah. on you. That's on her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, that's not on you. I saw the luchador mask and I was like, oh, another another that's... a different type of Latin. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's so funny like, about the luchador mask. Oh, sorry. Uh was I was real apprehensive about it at first because I was like, oh, 
like one of my biggest problems with like representation of Latinos in comics for so long was all they would do is throw a luchador mask on him, and like that was mm-hmm. the that was the signifier, and then he was like a cartoon. But I thought like Eric's sort of like character of Quinta was a lot more interesting than that, and so I didn't even I didn't even cause a fuss. I was like, all right, cool, I'll draw this. Yeah. And that was honestly in there for the pitch to get picked up too. Like, like I knew right. that that image was, was visual, and I knew that, that they could sell action figures and plushies and T-shirts and masks. And, and they did it. The first marketing thing they created was like based around Quinte's mask. So I knew they wanted a visual hook. So we gave him a mm-hmm. Superman shirt, and then this iconic mm-hmm. mask could be like these two symbols. But yeah, Quinte, he's a he's Kiowa na- native, and he's also a Mexican guy too. So his parents are also oh, awesome. of two different cultures. Yeah, that's really really cool. I will say this, since you mentioned based- plushie, again, a question I was going to ask later <laughs> on, are, my, are we going to get Chupacabra plushies? Because the thing is adorable. I mean, when it's not <laughs> big and menacing, it's adorable. <laughs> Which, so. like, major so. kudos to you, uh, Ramon, like, being able to, like, like, in that one character, make him super, super damn scary, but also make <laughs> him really cuddly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that was, like, uh, a fun challenge. Like, the first look of him was kind of cute but not really and then like you know once we figured out like the the formula like i feel like he is pretty cute he's adorable except for when i want to make him scary in which case he's <laughs> looking scary yes <laughs> yeah nothing in border town is as it seems everything has two or three different sides to it so i like that in ramon's art where it's yeah this little cute guy or this menacing murderer it's awesome <laughs> um so one thing that i want to talk about too is just the the opening of Issue number one, um, it was a gut punch. I did not expect uh, to like to hit the ground that fast. Um, and if, sure. if you haven't if you haven't read issue number one, it, it opens on the border with uh, you know a whole bunch of white supremacists essentially looking to go hunt some quote unquote illegals. Um, and it's it's really I, I did not know what I was getting into when I opened it. Um, so like, how did you decide to or how how did you tackle writing dialogue of like that? intensity for characters like that because like the characters that we see that are bad in the in the book um are really bad um and that's got i mean that's got to be hard coming from your like from your you know from your positionality and stuff like that like how how did you tackle that in in, you know in your writing process sure well like growing up in arizona didn't hurt uh like i've heard all that stuff before (laughs) so that was easy but the hardest thing for this is i wanted to get to the the logical truth of what they're saying like all these bad guys think that they're good guys you know and and maybe that there maybe there aren't even any bad guys they're just folks with differing opinions who are like have been led astray by people who just want to see blood um so i think there's some folks in that community in this like white supremacist like crazy border patrol like border militia community who do want to just protect their family and they do want to uh, like obey the letter of the law and they do want to like defend america and those are all like really cool mammalian instincts um and 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 in another life maybe they would join the military or they would be cops or they would be you know something that was like useful but they've been led astray by people uh by like people who've assumed leadership positions who are negative so i want to portray like within those groups there are people who like can be redeemed and you'll see that in the book and there are people who like aren't just like darth vader bad you know there's reasons for their thinking even if it's flawed and that's the hardest thing to do uh but you need to with villains like i don't want this book to be an after school special where it's like and then all the brown people were good and all the pale people were bad like that seems insane (laughs) and and that's and that's racist so you're like our main character is a guy who you know so he he has mexican ancestry and irish ancestry and one thing i want to hit is that like these guys who are really like white power white isn't a thing right like it's 
if you boil it down, like I go to Oktoberfest and I enjoy the German culture and I go to like St. Patty's Day stuff and enjoy like Irish culture. But when you get like this white monolith, that's when things go astray. Right. So that's what the bad guys are affiliated with in, in our book. Yeah. And then like to, to kind of like ask uh, another piece of that, like um, the detail in that first comic and like in like in that first panel or the first panels, the first page, um, like all the, the patches and pieces, like, did you, did you get to choose like, did you choose how, how they were, like, what they were wearing, Ramon? Like, because it was, like, there were so many layers to, like, just the outfits that they were wearing and, like, the words on them. So, it, that was a mixture. That was one of the more, like, specific areas of script that Eric had given me. Like, a lot of those were his ideas because there were archetypes of dudes that fall into that kind of stuff. Um, oh, okay. But once he described the dudes, I was able to extrapolate a little bit. Um, and, like, add in stuff, like, there's an anime patch on the back of one of the guy's jackets that, to me, was, like, very specific to that kind of guy who's, like, just on Twitter being obnoxious, and he's, like, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of fumbling around in that scene. So I wanted his jacket to be, like, intentionally, like, you know, doofus-like. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that was the main one. Um, that was I my was favorite able to have, like, little. Too. <laughs> yeah, I also, it's, like, Nobody noticed it, but there's, like, a little Sinestro core uh, thing on his jacket, too, because he's just, like, that guy's just a, a nerd and a loser, you know? So <laughs> I wanted that to simplify. Like, he thinks it's badass to, like, have, like, you know, this shithead, like, signal on his jacket instead of, like, a Green Lantern thing. So Yeah. That's really, really That first cool. page was hard because we, we wanted to start off the book and, and show that we weren't just, like... I wanted to show the opposition's viewpoint, right? Like, I wanted yeah. people who are like, this is just going to be a fluff piece, like, just propaganda to read the first page and be like, oh, I, they kind of understand our position. And that was the case. Like, when the when the preview came out, there were a bunch of, like, racist weirdos on Twitter that were like, ha, you accidentally portrayed our viewpoint really well. And I was like, it's not an accident, dude. That's my job. Like, I, I wrote, you're welcome. I, like, I represented your people in this book. And then we're going to, like, this is the, it's not the last time they're going to be in it. Like, we're going to engage them more and find out why, like, what happened to them to make them this way. And, and yeah. like, and if they have a place in Devil's Fork, when when this when this opposition when these monsters invade, like if they're going to be able to help their fellow man or not. Yeah, um, like going like going off of that too, like politics and culture, like or cultural statements run through comics since like the history of comics. Like like it, it's always gone hand in hand. But a lot of a lot of the times, it may not be at the forefront, right? It may just be kind of just sitting underneath the surface. You need to pull back from layers. But um, at least like when, you know, following you guys on Twitter and then like watching, you know, reading book one, and everything like that, like it, it's very upfront. Like we're talking, you're talking about experiences and like lived experiences in towns like this and actual things that people go through um, like what, what made you all decide to be like, no, we're not going to go with undertones. We're just going to go at it. You know, we're going to talk about like, or, you know, a story that I've, you know, that I've lived, you know, Adrian, you live in El Paso, which is right on the border. Um, like just, I guess like what made that decision? Cause it's always, it's easier to say, oh, I'm just going to go with undertones. Um, and instead you said, no, I mean, we're just going to talk about it. <laughs> Sure, sure. Like, Arizona itself feels really aggressive and cartoonish. Like, moving there, I, in, in my real life, I moved to Arizona in my sophomore year of high school from Illinois, and uh, it was like a prison movie going to high school. Like, the, the races were so segregated that they had their own lunch tables, and, like, it was really intensely, like, almost like poorly written 80s 
prison movie. <laughs> so th that level of like drama was interesting to me. Um, just as a writer, like I, I retreated into myself and started documenting it, and like like kept notes of things that were said and things that happened to me, and all of this is informed from like real life stuff. So it's funny to me that like real life is poorly written now. Like the president is like Norman Osborn, and like it's just like <laughs> ghoulishly ghastly evil stuff. It's just every day. Like if I wrote in, in this comic that ICE went to a uh, a hurricane shelter and started rounding people up, they would call me like a terrible writer and over the top. But that right. happened last night. Yeah. So, like, we live in a world that feels like God wrote it poorly, so it's hard to adjust that in a comic uh, and make sure to, to add nuance, because we're not, we're not in a nuanced world, especially in Arizona. It's not a nuanced place. Awesome. Um, I do want to say, Adrian, um, since you, you live on the border, do you have any, like, any questions and stuff in, in this area? I mean, I don't, you're, you're just leading it so well. I'm just like... <laughs> Let me go. Uh, I think, I mean, and I, I'll go back to it. I don't care. I'm, I'm a mixed kid. And I don't get to talk about this stuff very often. Um, so as like a Hispanic kid whose parents, uh, whose dad is Mexican, my mom is German. Um, and you wouldn't know that like by looking at me. So the stuff like that, um, like the panel that we talked about earlier, where he has to say like, you know, I'm half Mexican is something that I've had to do like, every day like when i lived in el paso sure, and sure. when she says no you're not i was like and he starts explaining like that's stuff that i've had to do like forever like i well, don't look it here's my background um mm -hmm. but you know her response um Julita's response was just like exactly what i wish someone would have told me when i was oh. growing up instead of having to like explain the thing and like oh no look here are the pictures like this these are my parents this makes look, every all I'm, i come from dark Dark brown Mexicans, sorry, um, <laughs> and that's stuff I had to do like every day growing up in El Paso because I was too dark for, you know, the Hispanic kids spoke too well to, like I literally had students when I or kids like when I was um, learning how to speak Spanish that I should stick to English white boy um, a whole yeah, bunch. So yeah, like, yeah. like the stuff that like he's getting ready to explain the stuff I had to do forever. So just seeing this like in comic form is really great. And we talked you talked earlier about how that's not really re represented well, even with when there are mixed characters, is really great that we're already seeing it, you know, at the forefront, like issue one, like this is this is what it is. And to have more mixed people in there than just one like token mixed kid is is really great. Um, I don't know how that's much so it like, relates to like, what Kate is saying, but I've been wanting to say that since like we started. So <laughs> I said it. I said it. <laughs> that's so tight to hear. I feel like we've like heard that a couple of times in the things that we've done, you know, whenever there's somebody who's of that experience. I think that's pretty awesome. Like uh, that that's like specific to our book, you know? Yeah, very specific. And I'm all about it. And I just want there to be like 17 issues already. <laughs> well, thanks, Adrian. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, with this whole book, I've been like, are we going to get away with this? Every every single like panel we write, every like everything we do, I'm like, are they going to let us do this? So I kind of front loaded with that message because like you, that's something that I needed to hear as a kid and I was a big comment guy. So if I had found this in a quarter bin when I was like 14, it would it would have changed my life. And I hope it has that effect on somebody else. And it's it's incredibly cool hearing that from you. So thank you so much. Hey, thank you. you. I was like, thank you. I was like, thank you guys for putting that I'm into the world. I'm just reading it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so 
aside from, you know, identity and, you know, um, just really, really poignant topics, um, I want to talk about folktales because honestly, that that's the first thing that like pulled me in when, when I saw you guys talking about it and I saw your call for like, what stories scared, what Mexican stories or like, you know, Latinx, you know, stories scared you as a child? I want to hear it. Um, like when it comes to folktales, if, if, um, if you're listening right now and you don't know, um, the border between worlds is the border between our world and a world that is inhabited by, you know, folktales, everything that was scary, that was scary. And I personally have been terrified by my grandmother many times by La Llorona. <laughs> like she used to think cry <laughs> out the door if I stayed out too late. Um, so I want to just ask you guys, like, what is your favorite, you know, I guess, like, folktale growing up? Favorite or, like, most impactful, so maybe one that scared you the most. And then what has been your favorite to write or illustrate? Sure, sure. Well, yeah, these these characters are amazing. They come from a... In, in our book, we kind of mix two things together, which is the Aztec mythology and Mexican folklore. And we find commonalities between them both. So the world they're coming from is called Nixmon, which is the Aztec underworld. And I did that because I feel like when I lived in Arizona, I heard people telling like me and other like Latinx folks to go home all the time. And they don't realize that like Arizona was Mexico. And before Mexico, Arizona was still there. Like the Aztecs <laughs> were, were, this is like, this is our continent, you know? And like to be told in California or in Mexico or Texas or New Mexico to go back home is like, it's the funniest thing in the world, but in, in a sad way. So I wanted to really hammer home. That's why we have the mythology base there. We want to talk about that this is older than, you know, Europe. So yeah. yeah, some some of the monsters that I like the most. Uh, do you guys know what the duendes are? The duendes. Yes. So I like that uh, in in some places in like northern Mexico, they have it on the books still legally that if you move into an apartment or a house and you can prove that there are duendes in the walls, you can break your lease. What? And, and that's really funny to me. Like they're, they're still like it's still legally on the books and not changed. It's so funny because they're so <laughs> believed in still. They're, they're like these little gremlin monsters. Yeah, I was like, do you know what a duende is? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Explain when there's Eric. Eric. <laughs> What's that? Oh, go ahead, Amon. Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna ask Eric. Are those the ones that are like, like that? I just drew like a head with like legs. Yeah. Yeah. Or is that the? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The I, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I didn't know those ones. So that was one that like he kind of explained it, and I was like, oh, I get this. Yeah. Uh, do you want to explain? Cool. Matt doesn't know what the windows are. Do to explain it a little bit. Oh, and for our listeners, yeah, we should definitely explain what a duende is because I don't think I don't think many people know what a duende is. Sure, sure. Yeah, so it's a D U E N D E S, and they're sort of like Mexican gremlins, and yeah, they just they live in the walls and they mess with people and they're like tricksters, and they're cousins of this other type of, of little fairy creature called the Pichilingis. and and those guys they uh they talk to you in the sound of your own voice and they tell you to do things. So it's a way to explain away like schizophrenia or bad thoughts. So like these little elves that are related to the duendes and, and they like tell you to go like pull your sister's pigtails or set fires and stuff. And those guys are creepy too. I will say this. Uh, I did, uh, I got to read issue two and uh, the duende um, you're drawing for it, Ramon, it is, I can't decide my feeling on it. Like it's, it's kind of really like, just, there's a reaction. I like, part of me is like, this is, this is kind of cute, but also kind of just really kind of scary and weird. And I yeah. feel like if it walked up to me, I would probably cry. Yeah. My <laughs> friend said that's good usually thing. the scariest thing that I've drawn. And I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's, like even on the there's a two page spread with all of these different uh, creatures in it, and um, 
that's easily the scariest one, and they're so tiny, and they're barely even in it. But he, like, when he, when you see it, it's, like, haunting. So those ones are fun to draw, and I hope we get to do the Dwinda story, like, sooner than later. Um, <laughs> my favorite... Uh, my favorite one is uh, Yorona, just because that was the one that was like the iconic one, and like get it the way I drew her was something that I had had in my head as soon as we were like, okay, we're gonna do this comic. I was like, all right, I know how I want to draw her. <laughs> like I have it <laughs> instantly. So um, yeah, that was also the one that my grandmother told me when I was younger. But my grandmother would also like just tell me like random stuff that was like not like she would just make it up on the fly that were like uh, versions of that stuff. Like she would just tell me, like, "Oh, if you don't fit, if you don't put away your toys before you go to bed, like, if you, like because she wanted me to go to bed, like they're gonna wake up and kill you." <laughs> and so, like, or just like whatever it was, like, if you keep looking out the window, like you'll see something and it'll kill you. And it was like, oh man, <laughs> like that was horrifying. But uh, yeah, like it's it's all that stuff. But Yorona was the one that was the like she was she was the most common like that will kill you <laughs> if you like oh you hear wind outside that'll kill you go to bed. <laughs> So. I I feel like really seen by this because we had a scream episode that we did and I was like oh yeah my grandma used to scare me all the time that's what started horror and um, Matt and our guests that we had on the podcast were like what are you talking about I was like oh yeah your parents didn't tell you scary stories and you're like four or five they're like no yeah why, why would they try to traumatize you <laughs> that's the my point favorite. of these things yeah like yeah my favorite like Mexican thing that like I had to explain to white people recently was, uh, you know, when like at a birthday party, like they bring out a birthday cake <laughs> and, and you know, as <laughs> after, you know, you blow out the candles and they sing happy birthday. Like, what do you do? You shove the kid's face into the cake to humiliate yeah, yeah, them, yeah. <laughs> to frighten them. And so that you really, they grow up not trusting anybody around them. And like, I explained that to friends. I'm like, it's so funny. It's the funniest thing. And they were just like, what? <laughs> Like, well, did that happen to you growing up? I'm like, I quit having birthdays at, like, second grade. So, no, <laughs> I didn't. But, um, yeah, I would go to other people's birthdays, and they would get their face shoved in cake, and it was a great time. Everybody enjoyed it. Sometimes you get a separate cake to shove the face in, and then a cake for everybody else to eat. <laughs> That's um, yeah, I think a lot of the reasons for these characters is that we're, like, we're trying to toughen kids up, right? And And you want to, like, train your kid that if, like, you know, there are monsters out there because when you're little you don't want to explain to them that like people are going to hate you because they're racist but you want to let them know there's yeah. danger and that you have to like never like don't let the world catch you slipping or you'll die and that's a real actual thing but if you mythologize it with these monsters it's a way to like have a kid understand that without having to bum them out too much you know you know it's, it's what builds the indomitable mexican spirit that we're known for pressure to draw these things because they're it's like it's an oral history you know all these things are passed down from you from your your aunt or your cousins or your grandma so for ramon to actually have to like make it visual for the first time that's so much pressure for a dude because yeah. everybody has a different version of their head so like right. i was waiting to see pages oh is it gonna look like the one that my aunt told me about and like it's i feel like you just killed it man i'm really grateful that you nailed it so well yeah, the El Kukui was the one that I was like, I don't know if this is going to play at all, but everybody seems to know it. it's El Kukui just by looking at him. Yes. And like, you know, yep. and it's like, it's a completely psychotic version of El Kukui. It was like, I just listened to Korn for like three hours. I was like, all right. I got it. <laughs> is there a non-psychotic version of El Kukui? Because I was told he was going to no, shapeshift hey, and steal me. <laughs> Google, Google it. You'll see a lot of non-psychotic versions of El Kukui. 
You'll just see werewolves. I wanted it to be like an elevated werewolf, so. Yeah, you're right. Because we, we started, we kicked off the episode of like, you, we don't really see any of these things anywhere. Like growing up, like my grandma told me all these stories, but I'm thinking back to myself, like she never showed me what any of this stuff looks like. Like I could have thought anything was these things, but you know, from the very beginning, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's Kukui. I'm going to show this to my wife. Because even like <laughs> to this day, if we go watch like a scary movie or it's dark in the house, I'll just be like, "Oh, Kukui," and then she'll get scared. Like that's it's just it's just ingrained in the culture, and I'm glad it got brought to life. I'm very really excited to show her what that looks like. I feel like them not being present in like movies and stuff too makes them feel more real, right? Like yeah. I have I have an actual friend Kinte in Arizona, and I used to when I would say the word skinwalkers, he would get bummed out because he was like, if you say their names, like they're gonna come get us. And like we were like 15 years old, and I I said skinwalkers three times like Candyman style, and he just clocked me in the jaw, <laughs> like he like laid me out, and I was like, and then and I was like, you know what? That was my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're really right. I was risking our lives. Like so, shout out to the real Kinte. Was Quinta very tall, Eric? I, was he yeah, like yeah, yeah. like? So you know what's so funny about that is I hung out with uh, I was in Portland and I met a friend of mine, Sean, from like fourth fifth grade. And when you when I first drew Quinta, he was like a different body type. He was like rounder and like a little softer. And Eric was like, no, he like I want him to be like more like blocky. Like he's not like you know like more like an old school wrestler. So I was like, oh cool. And then uh, like immediately my head went to this dude Jose who was like when we were in, like, the third grade, like, fourth grade, he was, like, 6'2". So, like, he was my tall friend, you know? And so I just drew him like that, yeah. and my friend Sean was like, hey, was, like, is this guy supposed to, like, be Jose? And he was like, our friend Jose was, like, obsessed with wrestling. Like, he was Quinte. And I was like, dude, it is basically supposed to be Jose. So I always thought that was crazy, like, a weird, like, my tall friend is exactly the same as that dude in that comic, and, like, I don't even think he's read it. I don't think he knows about it, but... Yeah, that that's was cool. that was awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Kinte is based on Kinte, uh, the student in my hometown, and then Kota Ortega, another guy. And that's what I stole the last name from. And they're both like native guys who will kill you, who are like the size of men when they were twelve. And they're, they're awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> that's awesome. We've we've all gotten to see that two page that that two page spread with uh, with all mm. of the. Um, you know, I don't want to call them monsters. That seems it doesn't seem like accurate to call them monsters. Like I don't know why, um, sure, but sure. like I was gonna ask because you said that like Yarona, uh, La Yorona was you know was your favorite one to draw, and you've known how to draw her, which is really interesting because like the way she looks, and you know, you know, listeners, when you pick up issue two, like you're gonna be blown away by it. She looks so different than anything I've ever seen her represented as because she's probably the sure. like the only one, maybe that, and maybe the Chupacabra, which also looks different, like. They're so you like they're unique to your art style and you know and to the way you saw it, but you also clock them right away as what they are, and those are probably right. the two most represented. Like I guess, like what were you thinking about that when you were drawing them, or did you just draw? No, I kind of just drew them. Like when Eric and I started it, we we sort of had a conversation about um, when I draw any of that stuff to do my version of it, sort of like the real version of it that would have influenced the. Um, the oral history version. So, like, it's sort of like when you see old, like, illustrations of, like, gorillas before people had, like, seen gorillas, they look insane. And, like, that was the idea, was, like, do the version is, like, when you actually see the gorilla, when you, like, see that thing, this is what we wanted to present. So, like, you know, all those things were, like, based on different visual clues of, like, things that I liked when I was a kid. Like, the, the, uh, the chupacabras were, like, 
you know, like, because there's different versions of that you see of them, but that was very influenced by, like, raptors from Jurassic Park, you know? <laughs> and because I've seen Jurassic Park, like, when I was five, like, a thousand times with my grandmother. Like, she just took me over and over because she liked it a lot. <laughs> like, that and, like, aliens. Like, my grandmother was, like, a huge fan of, like, science fiction in general. So she would take me to see, like, you know, all of that shit when I was growing up. And, uh, like, Yorona was, like, do you remember those books, the scary Scary stories to tell in the dark with the really, like, weird, like, yeah, yeah, I... Yeah, it's like, so it's a little influenced by that, a little influenced by, like, different things, but that was, that was definitely one of them, is, like, once I drew, I'm like, oh, this would, like, fit in there, but if I drew that stuff. So, that was, like, a, you know, just things that I, like, as a kid, influenced my take on things, you know? Uh, There's, what are the, uh, what are the ones with the long noses, Eric, that I drew? They're like the they're the ones that like talk in your the different voices. Yeah, those are the peachy lingies. Yeah, that's just like I just was like I love Slipknot, so I'm gonna give them long notes. Yeah. So just yeah, just different visual things that inspired me like growing up being into horror stuff like in what like honestly I was a coward when I was a kid like I saw Chucky scared the shit out of me and I never watched horror movies. And then when I was in, like, the sixth grade, I went to, like, a sleepover with some friends, and they had got, like, the new Chucky, and I was, like, too scared to go watch it with them. <laughs> I was just, like, in the room with my friend playing, like, Metal Gear Solid. Like, I wasn't playing Metal Gear Solid. He was playing it. Yeah. And I was, like, I was, like, super bored. But, like, no, guys, it's cool. I don't really want to go watch the movie. I want to watch Metal Gear Solid. And then after that, I had to have, like, a come-to-Jesus moment where, like, am I going to be afraid of this my whole life? <laughs> and then I just started watching horror stuff. I mean, it's okay. The, the, the original Chucky movie still scares me. So, it's unpleasant. <laughs> and I love horror, but no. That and Tim Curry it. Don't want to see them. <laughs> um, so I guess to tell a story, because like, like you've mentioned, and it's kind of been the through line of like telling like a Mexican story and telling a, a, you know, a Latinx story has kind of been at the forefront and stuff. What made you choose specifically telling that through Mexican folklore? Um you know, and kind of like, I guess maybe this conversation is a little bit about it. Like we all kind of had really visceral reactions to just like mentioning some of these names. Um, but like, what sure, really sure. like made you think about doing that? Was it a, was it about aesthetics? Was like, what you know, what had you choose like Mexican folklore as a vehicle for this? Well, when I started pitching to Vertigo, it was like three years ago, and I was pitching them just like cover songs of other stories, basically. I was like, here's my version of like a Mark Wade superhero thing, or here's my version of like a really talky Neil Gaiman goth kid thing. And like, I was just telling like shitty versions of other people's stuff. And the editor at the time, Jimmy Rich, asked me, he's like, what is the story that only you could tell? What is something that like, if I had an editorial note, you could tell me to go to hell because you lived it and you have the experience? Like, get yourself into that space of authority where you can like correct me and i was like oh that's really interesting so i went back into my life and i was like what is unique about my life what are the things i'm the most ashamed of what are the things i'm the most like traumatized by what are the things i'm most afraid of and i got really really vulnerable and instead of like doing like a really macho superhero like action type story which i was pitching i was like what is the opposite of that what is the mo- what am i the most insecure about and that was my like weird relationship to my ethnicity when i was a kid and like not knowing how to present and like that was when i felt the most out of like uncomfortable 
and when was I the most afraid? And it was when I heard of these stories, these monster stories when I was a really little kid. And I didn't know if they were real. And the borders between what was real and what wasn't were really blurry. Because the same person who told me that like Okakui was real also told me that like Jesus was real. So I was like, well, those are both like equally not plausible. So like <laughs> which like so Santa Claus and Jesus and Okakui, like one of these I have to believe in forever. One of these I like, can stop when I'm 12. And one of them like I have no idea. So that was kind of funny to me. And then, like, moving to Arizona sucked. I hated it. Like, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me as a teenager. Like, it was right when I was starting to connect at home with my family um, and, and, like, the Mexican side and being pulled away from them and put into Arizona. And, like, that was that was really traumatizing. So I wrapped all these really personal things up around, uh, like, one story, you know? And uh, I thought that that would be interesting for folks that were from Arizona. I had no idea it would be, like, this thing that sold out within five days and, and anyone else would care about. But I thought that a very specific kind of person would like it. And that if, if just people like you, Kate, like, if just you dug it, it would have been enough. <laughs> like, that would have been a success. The thing that you wrote, like, when the preview came out about, like, being excited for this kind of material and, like, your review of the first issue, like, if you were the only reader, this would be enough. But we're blessed to have, like, more people just like you reading it. And that's that's incredible. There's a bunch of Kates out there. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know if a lot of Kate's running around is a good thing. You might run into like Rick and Morty territory where there shouldn't be more of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I mean, and I think it's honestly like, thank you for that compliment. But like, honestly, like y'all's work like stands by itself. That's why you all have so many people that are, you know, are in love with it. Like it's, it's phenomenal. Thanks. Like it, it really, really is. Um, and I want to say too, like, or I want, I want to know um, kind of like what inspires your art style because it's really like I've never seen anything like it and I don't know if, is it just because you get to do like fantastical things with these you know with these folklore characters or is it you know I don't know I don't know how to ask the question like I just want to know like what inspires you um yeah my my art stuff is inspired by pretty much like everything like I I've been drawing since I was like four years old you know not well like I haven't <laughs> been drawing well for I'm still not there yet but I I'm influenced by like a couple of artists specifically that I really love uh, Frank Quietly and uh, Jaime Hernandez and I try to like merge those two aesthetics and like those two like ideas of like how to make comics and like that's a big part of it um, while also being like um, drawing like scary shit just for the sake of it like. What, I didn't grow up reading comics, so a lot of my like visual references and stuff are not from comic books, which I think is like it really helped me um, because then I don't really have any sort of like this is like the way that things are done, you know. So yeah, I spent a long time trying to figure out like what my my thing was, and my thing was like trying to make comics for people that don't already read comics. Like I want people to see the stuff that I do and think, oh, this is cool. Not because it's, like, a comic book thing, just because, like, it looks cool to them. That's why, like, the shoe thing, like, the wrestling thing, all the different things that I like to do are aimed at, like, not comic book readers. And I hope that my general, like, love of comics was enough for those people, too. But I've always sort of had the mentality since I, like, got into it. It was, like, I'm not from this world, and I don't need to be, you know? I'm, like, an, I'm an outsider, so that's and that's fine. That's really awesome. Um, and... I guess going into the next question, just because I uh, in issue in the second issue, there's a Kyle Rayner poster. I'm assuming. I think it's him. Yes. On the back yep. wall. Is that? Do you all yeah, love yeah, that yeah. character, or like, did you we choose do. specifically because yeah. he's Latino? Or oh, okay. Cool. 
Yeah, yeah well, so that was Mexican and Irish. Yeah. yeah so that's oh, there you go. Me. Like I didn't know that. And, and so is <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so is Miguel O'Hara from Marvel. Like those two characters in the '90s, I was like, "Holy shit! I got to create a Mexican Irish comic book guy," and I, I did. <laughs> so that was really exciting. Yeah, I always thought that was rad too. And like I said, I didn't grow up reading comics, but I would like, you know, if I would have enough money and my friends would be buying Pokemon cards, I would buy like one or two comic books. And I got like uh, when I was looking through like the poster thing that they had of like promo posters. I had that poster that's up on his wall. And it was like the, you know, it was Kyle Rayner, the Jim Lee. It was like new dude, new suit, same Green Lantern or some shit like that, or same old ring. <laughs> and I, I, I had it up for so long because I just thought it looked amazing. And that wasn't in the script. In the script, I think Eric wrote that like there's nothing on any of his, there's nothing on his wall at all. And so I, uh, but I, I was like, if he put up one thing, it would be like a cool Green Lantern poster. So like I broke script, but I think it worked out good because I think it was we, like we symbolic. talked about that though on the phone, like about our love of that character, like, if, like before the yeah, yeah. If, out, so. I knew you wouldn't care. I just meant like his room yeah. was not supposed to be set up yet, but I was like, oh yeah, this yeah, means yeah, a lot yeah. to him. The, the poster is going up. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was. I saw it. I was like, oh my god, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because I don't. Think and that's the cool. The cool thing about working at. Oh, sorry. That's the cool thing about working. For like DC under the DC banner, it's like we can do that, and it's no problem. <laughs> in fact, it yeah, might yeah. look a little bit like we're brown nosed in the co-publisher when we do it. We I put, mean, you, put you did make Bane. Yeah, I was like, you made Bane and Chupacabra, which is great. Yeah, and that was important to me because, like, w- whenever we see Bane, it's like fucking Tom Hardy. Like, yeah. he's, he's a <laughs> he's a Latinx guy too, and like we've never seen him in any of the movies. Like, he's he has like a fucking luchador mask, and they're like, oh, let's change it, and make it Tom Hardy. Like, it drives me crazy. No, like, Danny, no Danny Trejo culturally. Danny Trejo played him in the uh, cartoon once. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. But like, I think in Batman and Robin, the '90s one, where he's like a little scrawny, like oi punk. Like, <laughs> that was irritating too. Yeah, I I my version of Bane that like because I had done that for a commission before Eric wrote it in the script. Eric specifically put that in there and was like, "Just draw your Bane." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, was incredible. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I love that. My my, I wanted to do like a synthesis Bane of like all the Banes, like uh, the Grant Morrison hyper time, like everything happened, like what they did with Batman. I wanted to do like everything happened to Bane, so he's like he's fallen in love with these different women, and like he's just like this <laughs> sensitive hulking monster who can't breathe because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to do a Bane book so bad. Like all this is like low-key a backdoor pilot where it's like dc if you want rona i could do this like, <laughs> that's why there's so many easter eggs <laughs> yeah, no, no pressure but we would fucking kill on green lantern <laughs> um so like kind of going into like these latinx characters and stuff like what you know it's it's hispanic heritage month latinx heritage month um it goes it's going by both names right now um you know when it comes to like Latinx visibility or representation in comics, you know, how do you feel like it's, and I don't really want to talk about like where it's been. Cause it's kind of depressing when you talk about where it's been, but like, how do you see it going forward? Cause I mean, y'all are like, I mean, y'all are really visible right now. And it's, it's great to be a Chicana, like specifically um, to kind of see that. Cause I mean like, yeah, there's like Jessica Cruz, but like she's, mm-hmm. she's her identity is not really talked about that much. Just kind of there. Like it's not really like, built it so like what's it like to be kind of like really visible and like carrying this banner of you know being latinx and you know being in comics and also like where do you see kind of like the state of the field and where it's going 
I guess I, I feel like like Adrian was talking about like being like culturally checked when I when I grew up a lot. Like that makes it hard for me to be like, well, now I'm a Chicano icon. Like that's not how I walk around or how I feel at all. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, but I, I do feel like because I'm like a light skinned guy, I get into rooms in LA that other people wouldn't. Like the darker skinned guys like wouldn't get invited to, and I know that's a fact. Like I know that I have more opportunities because of the way I look and present. Um, so I'm trying to use that to the best of my ability to like Trojan horse my culture into there and our culture into there. So it's a you know it's a big responsibility. I got into comics just wanting to do like Superman punching robot comics. Like you know like like I just wanted to be another one of those guys. Uh, Mark Wade just wanted to be Mark Wade, and like <laughs> I kind of got like because of my I'd pepper my stories with i was locked out of telling conventional stories so i've kind of been positioned into just being like you're the chicano guy and if that's what my legacy is that's awesome like i will i will die happy and i will tell as many stories in that field as i can but my, my goal is to like there's no our identity isn't a genre right like being yeah. mexican shouldn't just be like a horror thing because it's scary right now because the president like we should also have superheroes and fantasy like i want to have a mexican elf let's do this like yeah. <laughs> it should be across all genres and, and, and all franchises so that's how i feel yeah um when i got into comics like i said i didn't grow up reading them so i felt like an outsider and i never like growing up i you know among my like mexican family i grew up in like a south side of the town that I lived in that was, like, very Mexican. But I didn't speak Spanish, and I, like Eric said, like, I didn't culturally fit into that group either. Like, they would always call me, like, not Mexican enough and that kind of shit. So, like, when I got into comics, I never, I didn't necessarily feel like that was something that was, like, a, a real big part of my identity until, until I realized that everybody just saw me as the most Mexican person they'd ever seen. <laughs> and then I, I was like, well, if that's who I'm going to be. And like, it is like, it was a thing where like, I felt underrepresented and, you know, this isn't my first book by like a long shot, like Eric, like I've done books for Marvel for like quite some time. And, uh, when I first did like an X-Men book, I'm just like, you know what? I've always thought Wolverine was Mexican. I'm just going to draw him that way. Like the way people <laughs> yeah. cast like white people as like different things. I just drew Wolverine as Mexican, like just straight up. And then when I did a book called Nighthawk, there was like other characters in it that we got to like diff do a different, like we got to build a world and it was, I, I had like kind of suggested we set it in Chicago. And then as soon as we did, I'm like, Oh, you know, there's a lot of Mexicans in Chicago. One of these characters <laughs> should be Mexican. So they're like, they made like one of the detectives, like a Mexican woman. And she's just like in the book, just being Mexican, like not really, but you know, like she's Mexican. I drew her. She's a Mexican woman. And then I did America. And that was, you know, that was great. Um, so, like, it had been sort of, like, a steady, like, climb up. And then that whole time, like, I had been, you know, I would really, I realized how much of my identity is defined by my cultural heritage. Like, the wrestling stuff. Like, I grew up very Mexican. <laughs> Just I didn't speak Spanish. That was the only thing, right? So, that was my, uh, like, that was sort of, like, my goal is to just, like, I don't see that stuff in these comics. And when I would be at cons and people would see Ramon Villalobos, they would get excited. So I wanted to be able to like serve those people the way, like I know that I had been underserved, you know? So yeah, like when I drew like a, uh, like last year I did a drawing of like wonder woman and as the Virgin Mary and Selena. Cause I said, they're all three like proud Mexican women. And I got into so <laughs> many arguments on Twitter with like dudes that were like next wonder woman can't be fucking, uh, Wonder Woman can't be Mexican. She's like Greek or whatever. I'm like, no, no, no. She's Mexican. It's Mexican clay. 
<laughs> they're like, no, she's from Amazon. I'm like, right, the Amazon, like Southern, like so, uh, <laughs> Southern <laughs> South America, like you know. And they would get so upset, like not realize that I'm fucking with them. So yeah, that was like my. That was like I want. That was you know I want to force this on people. Like we're going to be seen. We're going to be heard. And that's why when I when I got asked to do Border Town with Eric, I was like, okay, this feels right. You know, like this yeah. is like now is the time to do this. And especially because, like Eric has said before, like it's not a book about being Mexican. That's one of the themes. It's a book about these kids. The yeah. kids happen yeah. to be Mexican. So, and Chicano, which is its own identity. It's a, it's like a third right, thing. Sorry, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. so used yeah, to yeah. saying, you know. A lot of people I'm don't understand what it is. Like, I, I get asked, like, what are, why are you calling yourself Chicana? It's like, because if I say Chicana, you're not going to start talking to me in the Spanish because you know that I'm specifically Mexican-American and don't speak Spanish, right. probably. Yeah, um, yeah. Third generation. Of, you just don't do it. Exactly. We have our own proud culture, and it, it's a different thing. Like like you say, too, like, it's not a monolith, right? It's not yeah. being Latinx mm-hmm. and all one thing. So, you know, being, being like, Chicano in Arizona is different from being Chicano in Illinois. Like, it's, yeah. it's not one thing. Or it's even so, in Texas. Even just being honest to ourselves there there's actually there's a youtube video where it's like california mexicans and texas mexicans and how different they are from each other yeah yeah cowboy hats versus dodgers hats yeah (laughs) well yeah i mean even even in texas like el paso mexicans and valley mexicans are very different and san antonio mexicans are (laughs) very different from that which is where i'm yeah the difference between southern california mexicans and northern california where i'm from again two different things yeah (laughs) So you thank like you for portraying like different kinds of catch all, different Mexican types. What's, what's that? Huh? Oh, so I'm just saying thank you for portraying us differently and not just as one, you know, monolith. Because I'm thinking back to the characters and like how I can see them as different parts of like the Texas Latinx people that I've met throughout like the years. It's all not all the same. So thanks for portraying it that way. Yeah, no, all the kids they all dress very specifically to whatever culture that they're a part of like they're all one group of friends but they're like different kids and that was very intentional yeah and they all have their really like really specific identities which you 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 get like like surprisingly like really quickly like and i think like you said like their clothes really help that like you kind of can situate them already and you can like see how different they are from each other um so i mean like I think that's all I have. I mean, I can keep I can keep talking to y'all all day, but I'm sure y'all have been, been doing <laughs> doing interviews all day too. Um, did you have any questions, Matt? No, I just been enjoying all the conversation and letting everybody lead everything, listening. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian? No, I mean I'm I'm just super happy that um, this is written by and drawn by people who like share my experiences, and I, it's just really. Um, nice to hear, and I've already said that already, but like I just want to reiterate it again. Like it's it's really cool, and we are all char- star shots. Yeah, like the characters <laughs> that you're portraying are like different that I've seen in comics in like a really long time. Like even having, um, you know, just I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like even having like an like an Afro Latina who's who's undocumented is not something that you see like mm-hmm. really ever. So like it's it's just. Um, Really great. I'm just excited to see more, basically. Thanks, man. Like, and yeah, thanks. Like, I will say, too, like, when it when I heard about it, I was like, this is the most on-brand thing for me. It's brown. They're, it's made by brown <laughs> people. It is all horror. <laughs> it looks like it's horror. Like, I I have a Guillermo del Toro action figure sitting on my, on my shelf. Like, 
Me like, too. Me too. I <laughs> like one of my favorite things is he always says like, "Why are you?" People ask, "Why are you so weird? Why do you do all the Stark stuff?" I was like, "Well, I'm Mexican. <laughs> this is where it all yeah. comes from." Um, but no, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. really don't for the creation. I don't have a Dio de los uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro figure, but I do have a figurine from Hot Topic of uh, Fieldy from Corn, where like you bought a T-shirt and they gave you a Dio de los Muertos <laughs> version of that member yeah. of Corn. I got the Fieldy one. I, probably, and I still own it. I yeah, probably I do, sold yeah. you that like five years ago. It was me. It you was, didn't. Like, we you weren't. Don't act like you were. Yet. Don't act like you were in Stockton. This was '04. It was a different time. You weren't around. No, not even '01. The culture check yeah. got called out by Ramon. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say this. I was like also had... a Hot Topic employee for like two years of my life. It's very <laughs> tight. So the, the kind of experience is Hot Topic. Yep. It is. Yeah. And like having well, thank you guys for, for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you guys. And uh, for real quick, I want to give a shout out to the best. Is. I want to give a shout out to the best horror movie ever made, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the 2003 <laughs> oh, Jessica Biel version. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Oh, I think I might just unfollow you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jessica Biel, but... Yeah. Oh. It's a great movie. <laughs> I got the uh, the Gremlins 2 VHS right here to prove you wrong, so the actually best horror movie of all time no it's it's texas chainsaw massacre 3d yeah uh, 2003 this is tearing okay. us apart all right okay. so this is a serious canceled. question though what are y'all's favorite horror movies we just told you them ramon okay seriously okay it's ridiculous it's got the Ridic- Mojo Raider. Is the best horror movie no false anyways Oh, man. Well, thank you. Like, seriously, again, thank you all for coming on and talking with us, chatting with us. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you guys and when Border Town's coming? Uh, the next issue of Border Town's coming out. Sure, sure. Well, I'm on Twitter at uh, Eric M. Esquivel. It's uh, E S Q U I V E L. And the first issue reprint is coming out on October 10th. So, And the second issue is on October 3rd. So you should pick them up. They're pretty awesome. Yes. Ramon? Oh, at Ramon Villalobos on Twitter. At the Ramon Villalobos on Instagram. Awesome. And if you're in my family, Ramon Villalobos on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Um, as always, you can find the show at But Why Though PC on Twitter. That is where we're most active. Come get involved with us. And you can find me at, oh, no, I'm not at But Why Though PC. I just said that for our show. Um, okay. And <laughs> you can find me at Oh My Myth Randier on Twitter. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me at SuperEast93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z, 93. Matt? You can find me on Twitter at datm 18 D-A-T-T-M-1-8. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank and you for coming on. Thank you. Very great <laughs> hearing everything. Awesome. <laughs> Let's do it again sometime. Yes. Hey, hey, we do, like, why things matter. If you ever have, like, a favorite pop culture topic that, you know, yeah, is a hero comic. Too. I told you guys. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. That's obvious. We'll fight it out. We'll fight it out. Joe Dante for life, son. <laughs> That's I don't know who episode. directed that movie. It's just very good. I know Michael Bay produced it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he brought it with that one. <laughs> it's like that and Bad Boys. There's only good movies. Oh, gosh. But yeah, thank you guys so much for stopping by and talking with us. Hell yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. Do you guys have anything you want to say before we, before we oh, let I mean, them go? Oh, I mean, just thank you again for coming and everything. <laughs>
No, it was, it, was, it was really great. I look forward to um, sharing this with all of my friends and all of my kids who are brown. So, <laughs> And I'll keep shouting for people to buy it on Twitter. <laughs> we made this for you oh, guys. Yeah. So everyone else is just gravy. It's cool they bought it. It's cool it sold out. We made it for you guys. So <laughs> That's how I feel. And that's how I'm just going to uh, carry my life. So. <laughs> oh, yeah.